Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to check out new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast presented by Sam Sage and me, Ben Hocking. We're firmly in the off-season now, folks. Harry's off for three months. (laughs) Normality's restored. Oh, we're going through the grind already, aren't we? It's already, you you know, the scenes in films where they're exploring and, you know, they go through the seasons. We're deeply into the the winter part of the exploring with the the big coats over your heads, dragging yourself through the snow blizzards as you desperately cling on to hope of a lovely shelter appearing on the horizon. That's where we're at at the moment. But we're not quitting. We're we're persevering. We'll still be here. Don't you worry, folks, because there's still plenty going on, including coming up today. Daniel Ricciardo saying that he is reborn and re-energized he gets points just for using those two words but we'll be discussing that a little bit later on Teo Porsche winning the Formula 2 title and whether one of the F1 team should have picked him up for the 2024 season but let's kick off with old Logan Sargent because there was just one remaining question mark on the 2024 grid and that was who was going to partner Alex Alban at Williams. Now, there was a fair bit of speculation that Logan Sargent would hold on to his seat and indeed he has, just days after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the team confirming that he will still be there in 2024, which means the grid, at least compared to the end of the 23 season, is completely unchanged as we head into next year. So, uh, Sam, firstly, your reaction to the news? Yeah, I mean, bizarre that we've had a a whole season of no driver changes. Um, I can't remember the last time that that happened, where every single seat has been kept by the driver that was previously in the seat before. Never happened. Wow. There you go, folks. Never. You're witnessing history for the first time. This has never, ever happened, that all 20 drivers remain. Just copy and paste it. Drama is is crazy in in the transfer window these days. Um, talk about silly season. Go off the rails. Yeah, so Sergeant re-signed sensible for... Sensible season. <laughs> so that's what we're going for now. We're, we're boring, we're cold, yeah. we're sensible. Um, in, in winter, now, where we where we look for topics to talk about, Williams have blessed us with, with the re-signing of their driver. And it's an interesting one because I think it's fair to say that across all of the season... As a, a podcast, we've had very differing up and down opinions of Logan Sargent, what he's achieving, and whether he should be worthy of a second season in Formula One. So I was not surprised by the news. And I wasn't surprised by the news for the one reason that I just think there's a lack of options that Williams don't want to put their neck on the line for. I think there's a lot of stories that could have unfolded differently within the 2023 season that would have p- potentially have created rivals for Sargent to put in that Williams seat. Um, 
an example of one of those being what if Yuki Tsunoda didn't get re-signed by Alpha Tauri and it was um, Daniel Ricciardo and you know the youngster that comes from down under who picks up the secondary seat of course Lawson that is if you're unaware folks um, and and they went with that lineup that does that mean that Yuki Tsunoda is available and he sat there and for me that would have been a, an obvious pick for Williams to maybe go for someone with a bit more experience and they have completed the ex Alpha Tauri partnership of course alongside Alex Albon and then you look at other options that could have been available, such as their junior platform, their, their young drivers. I don't think anyone is there yet. No one was really competing in F2. They promoted a couple of drivers from the younger divisions further up. They've given some tests to those younger drivers. And we know that there's no one ready and rearing. It's not like Terry Porsche is a, a Williams Academy driver and they've just gone on one F2 season, for example. Speaking of Terry Porsche, who we're going to get on to later... Someone like him would also be a skip your neck on the line kind of job. And would he be any better than Logan Sargent? We don't know. We don't know really if he's one of those drivers that gets into an F1 car and suddenly succeeds, or maybe he flounders like what Sargent did at the start of the season. So in terms of the initial news, not shocked, but also it's not exactly, you know, edge of your seat, you know, seat of your pants kind of news that blows you away. It's not It's not thrilling me. I'm not filled with excitement. It does feel like the safe option. Ben, what was your immediate reaction when you saw the signing? Yeah, lack of surprise, first and foremost, because whilst that, yeah, whilst there were contenders earlier on in the year, I think they kind of fell by the wayside one by one, which left Logan Sargent as the only, as the only obvious contender. Um, obviously, Drogovic was kind of mentioned and then he signed on as a reserve driver again for Aston Martin next year. Um, who else was mentioned? Uh, Liam Lawson, obviously he put himself out of contention by directly saying that he would be uh, back in F1 with AlphaTauri and AlphaTauri only or, or Red Bull, obviously. Um, and, uh, and Mick Schumacher, another name that was mentioned that Toto Wolff might want to shoehorn into that place. He has recently been confirmed in the World Endurance Championship. So you could see that all of the options one by one were um, making themselves not options throughout the year to the point where Logan Sargent made the most sense. Now, I, I still don't personally agree with the call and we'll, we'll get onto that in a moment. However, I do think it was a good job by Williams in their decision-making process. I, I think they deserve compliments for how they did this. So first and foremost, they've announced this decision directly after the season, which I think was the right call for building Logan Sargent's confidence. There wasn't this, uh, I don't know, a drawn out process of three months and Logan Sargent not knowing at the end of January whether he was still racing this season. They've got to it early. They've made the call. And I think that will fill him with confidence. Um, and it proves that the emphasis was on Sargent, as William said all along. It, it was always the case of, of James Vowles and other senior members at Williams saying, look, this is on Logan Sargent. If he hits the targets, he will be in the car next season. And I think them making the decision straight after the season proves that that was actually the case rather than just the holding line of, oh, we'll keep him happy by saying that. But actually in the background, we're looking at other options. It does seem as if it was very much the case that he had the targets, he hit them, and therefore he's in the car for next year. I think they were open and they were honest at all stages throughout this. They never promised him that seat and then went back on it. I don't think they ever lied about how they were going to decide it. So I think Williams deserve credit for that, even if the the fundamental decision isn't one I necessarily agree with. Do, do you agree with the decision, Sam? I think I'm forced to agree with the decision. And this is, again, due to the lack of options. James Vowles has held a, a weapon to my head behind camera and said, you will agree with the decision. Um but it's, it's through lack of alternatives for them. And, you know, th this lack of alternatives has opened up a domino effect for Logan Sargent to become somewhat now, obviously, a two-year driver in Formula One, potentially longer, through no doing of his own, really. And I think you have to go back to the start of last year when Sargent first got the seat. You've got to remember that 
When Piastri was potentially going to become an Alpine driver, there was talks of him going on loan to Williams for a couple of years to develop. Um, and then that obviously never materialised because Alpine lost Piastri. He went to McLaren. And the same was going to happen with with Nick de Vries, of course, who was the standing driver in the Monza Grand Prix for Williams. And he then went to the Alpha Tauri programme uh, and got separated again. And then in the junior programme, no one was available, as I've already mentioned. So... I feel like the decision process is right by, you know, it's, it's defunct right. It's it's just default right. Because unless you're wanting to take absolute risk, I can't see there being a more sensible, fair option without either spending big bucks to try and pull a driver out of his contract within Formula One already. And I think the options for that option are, are limited, are very small. Or you do what I already suggested, which you go to the F2 route or a reserve driver route and again, there's as much risk there. And I think James Vowles has taken a the sensible option of going, Logan, you cost us a bit of money with your crashing and your performances weren't great, but they were steadily starting to improve throughout the season. Now we're going to give you the year to capitalise on that. And I guess when you're pairing them with someone like Alex Albon, who brought in a lot of money through the points that he scored, he's a safe pair of hands, he regularly delivers it's okay to have one side of the garage be a little bit temperamental and needing to develop them because this could be an investment that pays off for them for five, six years to come. If Logan Sargent is forever one-tenth off Alex Albon in absolutely everything he ever does, to me, that's a great driver pairing. I'm sure every team would love one driver that leads and one driver that's a tenth off and they know their place and they're happy with that position and it gets the job done for them. And if the car keeps improving, and let's say, I don't know, in two years' time, the Williams is now finishing fifth and sixth, fifth and seventh every race, that's great. They can't complain at that. So whilst I don't think in a dream world, this would have been what I would have gone for. We don't live in a dream world as much as I like to think so. This is a very sensible world and it makes, it does make sense as much as it kind of pains me to do so because he has been on the cusp of not really deserving a second year. I can't see any real and obvious alternatives. Ben, I know that you're very much on the side of don't think he deserves to have a seat. What do you think should have happened? Yeah, I, I I do agree with the point that he made progress in the last few races. He he definitely did. I just I just don't think it was enough. And I'm 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 happy to be corrected on this. But how many times has a great F1 career started with being whitewashed in qualifying by a teammate? How, how many yep. times has a good career started with that? It's not to say it can't happen, but I think it would be unprecedented um, if that was the case. And, and no disrespect to Alex Albon, who is a very good driver. He's not Michael Schumacher. He's not Lewis Hamilton. If if one of those drivers whitewashes you, okay, this is Alex Albon we're talking about. So that that is one of my largest reasons I have reservations on this. Um, I, I'm not a fan of chopping and changing for the sake of it. I don't think there's a benefit to that. Um, but having said that, I think Williams are in a really crucial stage of their overall journey to get back to the front to the point where I think now is the time where they need to get these decisions right. I think if you are, let's take the top five teams out of the equation. They're, they're kind of in their own league right now. Of the other five teams at the back of F1, I don't think you'd be rather, I don't think you'd rather be anywhere else right now than Williams. You could make a case and say a couple of years time, Audi might be the venue or you might think Alpine are going to get their, their stuff together. But I think of all those five teams, if you were, if you would say, okay, you can pick any, any one of them, which team do you want to go to right now? I'd take Williams because they're, they're the team on the ascendancy and they look like they are going places in which case I know there aren't any, obvious choices out there but I think you could make it happen if you really wanted to for one of these drivers if earlier in the season you wanted to prize Nico Hulkenberg away from Haas as an example I think you could have done that if earlier in the season you wanted to I, I don't know make a play for for one of the Alfa Romeo drivers I think it would have happened I'm not saying they're the right options by the way but I think you you could have made a non-obvious choice worked if you'd got onto it early enough. And I think there were enough indications early on that Sargent isn't good enough. I, I know it's some are saying it's been a, a season of highs and lows, but I there are 
many, many more lows than highs. Yeah, the lows are are deep veined mines and the highs are miles, hills in the ground. You know, it, it really wasn't, you know, peaks and troughs, as you're saying. It's he still has a very long way to come. And as you stated with the comparison against Alex Albon, Albon, I think, is turning into a very, very solid Formula One driver. You know, he's going to be here for a for long sure. time. I think, what, top, top eight or nine drivers comfortably on the grid? He's, he's inside the top 50%, I think it's totally fair to say. Yeah. But as you've stated, he's not Max Verstappen. He's not Lewis Hamilton. You know, he's not Charles Leclerc. Uh, he's, he's going up against someone who's maybe eighth or ninth on this on this grid, and Logan Sargent is nineteenth or twentieth, rather than being first or second against ninth or tenth. There's a lot of development that needs to progress. There's a lot of things that need to change, and maybe we'll see you know uh, a caterpillar bloom into a beautiful butterfly into the uh, into the second season of his Formula One career, and he might he might really show himself with some more confidence and belief behind him, but. I am inclined to think otherwise and that we will see a mild improvement with a repeat of not being good enough again for the whole season. But I would like to be proved wrong by him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would be very, very happy to be completely and utterly wrong on this. I would be really happy if that was the case. But the margins are fine. Margins are really fine in the world of F1. And the reality is that if if you had two Logan Sargents in that car this year, Williams would have lost out on $27 million. Like they would have, that's the difference between seventh and 10th, which is ultimately where they would have finished if they had scored a combined total of two points rather than the 27 or however many they ended up with. So, um, but you made yeah, that point, um, which I think is a fair point, Ben. I do think that's a very valid and fair point. But equally, if you had two Alex Albons in the car, they don't gain anything. Well, very true. So Very I think true. I think James Vowles' point, which you know we we all worship the man. He's an incredible, genius, wonderful, gorgeous person. Um, you know all of the above. But I do think his point was, you know, of we have Alex Albon in the car as the steady pair of hands. We've got a moment to allow someone to develop. Again, I, I think the conversation we're having, Ben, which I think the point you've made is, is Logan Sargent the right person to allow to develop? Has he got it in him to ever become Alex Albon when they need him to be? You never quite know what the margins are going to be between the teams up and down the, the, the championship because let's take Alpine, for example. They could have been quite a bit worse than what they were this season and quite a bit better and nothing would have changed in terms yeah. of their championship yeah. position. And then you've got the four teams at the back where marginal gains is the difference between seventh and tenth. Same between second and third. If If... Ferrari marginally better at anything, whether it's driver related, strategy related, they're claiming second place in the championship. So um, it is it is difficult, but you never know season to season exactly what those margins are going to be. It might be the case that Williams make great strides in the off season and suddenly they do have the capacity to compete with Aston Martin and Alpine, in which case two albums might have been the difference, but you but they might be in the same spot as this year and it won't matter. It's just really difficult to say, but I think you've at least got to prepare for the fact that you're the top, I don't know, your your two drivers performing at their peak is going to make a difference. I think you've got to account for that, even if it doesn't end up that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think you're right that next year, there is definitely a chance if Williams continue on the upwards progression, they'll need two Alex Albums rather than a... Uh, a dab hand behind the wheel and a loose cannon who they don't know if they're going to perform or not. So we'll have to see. Maybe it comes and bites them. Maybe James Vowles is rewarding for his his loyalty and his trust. What do you think Williams should do in the meantime with sort of 2025 in in the future? Do you, do you think that, okay, Logan Sargent's going to do his thing and they're going to make a call one way or the other whether he's good enough to continue beyond next season. But what do you think they should do as their insurance sort of backup if he's not? Well, I guess they've also got what I think it's two drivers moving into Formula Two for this coming season, which is which is good. Yeah. It's nice to see, but they're both in their rookie Formula Two year. So rarely do we see drivers perform brilliantly. I mean, it has happened, of course. You know, you only need to look at Russell, Leclerc, Norris, Piastri. But these are the drivers that again are separated from being good midfield Formula One drivers to I'm going to be a world champion at some point. And we don't know if those Williams drivers have that ability. We don't know if they have that capability to, to step up. So whilst they are possible options, and we saw them being given young driver tests across the season, it doesn't mean that they're they're sure things. But what worries me for Williams is 
They don't want to spend cash, right? Williams have come out many times and said, money for us is tight. We don't actually hit the cost cap. We're already struggling with facilities that other teams don't have or do have and we don't have rather. So to go out and, and buy someone out of a contract would probably, in a, in a perfect world, be the ideal solution. They buy it, talent that is known, talent that can deliver, and they know that they've got a working relationship with a Formula One driver at that point who understands everything to do with the car. What is beneficial for them is that I think out of the 20 contracts that we've got on the grid, something like 17 or 16 are ending at the end of 2024, which means that Williams need to be savvy. They need to not be too loyal to Logan Sargent. And if a, a, a deal that's too good to be true comes available for them to snap up a driver that's gone, oh, I'm not really sure what I do with myself at the moment. And you go, we could promise you a project for three or four seasons. You jump in and you snap them up. I'm not sure who that driver might be right now. You know, Maybe someone like Esteban Ocon, who isn't having a good time at Alpine, depending on how the season goes. I don't know. Something like that, you know, might turn around and become available. Maybe a Valtteri Bottas for his last three or four years in Formula One. I doubt he wants to go with the Audi thing coming in, but you never know. But there are options available to them, but none of them are sure things. And I really do think that's where Williams' predicament lies. And I don't think they've got something where they can go, that will bring us results and it doesn't cost us an absolute fortune throughout the whole season. Ben, I don't know if you've got any further thoughts on what Williams should be doing with their driver market, really, over the next year or so before we enter this new era of Formula One in 2026. Yeah, I think what they're doing in terms of the the F2, F3 lineup, they just need to keep going with that. And I think that's all okay. And like you say, if, if one of the drivers ends up being the next Norris, Russell, Piastri, Leclerc, fine, then you've got your option there. But in, in the instance that doesn't work out, I just think they should pay extra attention to the Red Bull scenario because while whilst that is okay for now and everyone is happy enough and content enough where they are, Sergio Perez has got another season to prove himself. Daniel Ricciardo now should get a full year um, in the in the Alpha Tauri program or whatever they're going to be called. Um, Yuki Tsunoda's still there. Liam Lawson is okay for now as a backup. But that's not going to be the case at the end of next year. Something's got to give with the program in that either someone moves up to Red Bull to replace Perez or someone doesn't, in which case you've got three drivers into two at Alpha Tauri. Someone is going to be left unhappy in that program at the end of 2024. And I think it would be prudent of Williams to pick up the one that isn't happy because, um, or at least at least consider the option of picking up um, one of the, the one of the three that isn't happy because... You know, it could be Liam Lawson, in which case he's somewhat proven himself this year. It could be Daniel Ricciardo. He's an established name and has proven himself across many years of F1. Yuki Tsunoda is improving year on year, even if you don't think he's got A-grade potential at the end of the day. He's, he's still a good driver. So, um, you know, keeping tabs on that whole discussion, I think, would be wise of Williams. Who would you um, who would you choose out of the lot? If you could have the pick of the bunch, if you're Williams, who would you go for? Uh, I, I think of if I could have a full choice of those four drivers, including Sergio Perez, it probably would be Sergio Perez. I think he is right now the best of the four. And I think he's had enough experience at the front that that would be really valuable for Williams. Um, so I think he would be, he'd probably be the number one pick of those if he is left without a seat. And the good news for Williams, I guess, is that it's unlikely Perez is going to go back down to AlphaTauri in that it's either going to be Red Bull again or gone completely. Whereas I think with Lawson, they'll they'll try and keep hold of him. Um, and Daniel Ricciardo as a, as a marketing opportunity, they'll try and keep hold of him in every way they can. Whereas Perez, I'm less sure about. So I think that would be a great move for, for Williams. Yeah, I've, funny enough, I, I thought the complete opposite. I thought if we, if if... Perez gets booted from Red Bull. I feel like the mindset of Perez will be so defeatist of, I'm at the end of my career. I've been at the top at this point, you know, unless I just want to pick up a paycheck, what's really the need? Whereas someone like Lawson, I feel like he'd be angry if he wasn't putting any of those seats again. I mean, I, I think you're right. I don't, I think realistically Lawson either gets into an Alpha Tauri seat or they weirdly promote him both up to Red Bull, which wouldn't make any sense, but Perez isn't going to come back down. So realistically, one of the two current Alpha Tauri drivers in Sangoda or Ricardo will go up and then Lawson in theory will fill one of the spaces that gets 
make available should Perez not go, should Perez go somewhere. But I, I would prefer Lawson personally, just because you've got the development time. He would have a point to prove and he's got years to do so. You can mould him and nurture him. And I think for the next 10 years, Albon and Lawson in a car together, if you kept that pairing together, has great potential. You could easily have a, a race-winning team there. But um, the only thing that would change for me against Ricardo or Perez would just be the mindset of, I think, towards the end of their career, they might be a little bit defeated with being in a what could be a mid-table side. Potentially. I mean, we've, we've seen it with with Raikkonen and we've seen it to an extent, I think, with Bottas. So there is a risk with that. Um, I think the, the risk with Lawson is that they've kind of already had... Lawson and Sargent go up together throughout the junior ranks and there was nothing between them. So it doesn't always translate to F1 that way, but certainly based on those two being almost identical in junior formulae, there is a concern that they would replace Sargent and get someone who does exactly the same job. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But doesn't always work that way. Um, we'll take our first break now. We're going to be discussing Teo Porsche on the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Okay, so not only was everything F1 decided at Abu Dhabi, it was also the F2 discussion that was decided at Abu Dhabi 2, with Teo Porsche seeing off Frederick Vesti to win the Formula 2 title. Um, so I guess the question as it pertains to F1, Sam, is should a team have snapped them up? I just We're having this predicament at the moment where we saw it with Piastri, we're seeing it with Dragovic, and now we're seeing it with Porsche. These F2 title winners are not being able to make a way into Formula One as simple as it would would seem that they should be able to. You've got this FIGA program and, you know, it's called Formula Two with the aim of stepping into Formula One. And he's come along in his, this is his second or third season in Formula Two? A third full season. He did do a couple of races at the end of 2020, but it's his third full season. We'll call it, we'll call it second then, just for um, his second full season, third, third in total. Oh, hang on, sorry, I just read that wrong. Is it his third full season with... It's Third full season, fourth in total. Oh my gosh, he's an old man. Um, in that case, yeah, no, it's not as it's not as impressive as I think what we thought we might see because a couple of years ago when we were doing this podcast and we had a little discussion about Formula Two and, and upcoming drivers, Porsche, Ben, especially yourself, were incredibly. I'm trying to think of the right word. You had a lot of admiration for Porsche. You had a lot of hope that he might become a bit of a, a potential world beater. And I don't think he's letting himself down, but, you know, it's taken him three and a bit years to get to the point where he's finally come and won the title. And it wasn't, it's not not convincing, but it wasn't the dominant fashion that we've seen other drivers come and do it in. And even on that final weekend, he didn't exactly dominate proceedings. I think Jack Doohan absolutely ruined everyone else on the on the main feature race, um, which shows that, you know, he wasn't doing it in style. Him and Vesti uh, had quite a battle, I believe, on track as well. So, Teo Porsche, F2 champion, not allowed to compete in the season again. 
now seemingly is going to be handed an out what well, was an Alfa Romeo t-shirt. It will be a whatever they want to call themselves next season t-shirt and a headset. And he's going to be the face that we see sat next to the team boss for the next season in the garage, I imagine, for the next year while he's reserve driver. It is ridiculously hard, I think, for young drivers to break into this sport. And I'll tell you what, what what an extra team would do for Formula One if we could just have an extra couple of seats. Have you heard anything so about that, be more, more seats available. Yeah. So more drivers could be an F1. That's it, yeah. What do you think of the idea? No, I think you're talking rubbish. Uh, I think I think everyone else would agree with you as well. I just think it's a poor idea. What a silly yeah. suggestion. Anyway, Good try. It's, it's very strange that the person who's won the FIGA series isn't able to step up. But if you look at his performances, I do think he's slumping. I do think he's being unable to carry through the momentum of his previous junior career up to this point. And maybe that is what has prevented a team from snapping him up. The only real option I think he had was that Williams seat. And I think if Logan Sargent had maybe metaphorically crashed and burned over the last few races, then he would have had a shot at maybe getting a loan deal into that option. Um, but unfortunately, I think Logan Sargent, as we've seen, has just done enough and there's nothing available to him. The team he's contracted to is becoming Audi and they're in a bit of a state of limbo. They want consistent hands and Joe and Bottas, whilst not setting the world on fire, do enough to keep the car running, to keep it ticking. You don't want to go to Haas and they seem to be happy with their old man pairing and no development. And then you've got teams like Aston Martin where that's not going to shift. Alpine aren't going anywhere. Alpha Tower, you're not involved in the program. It's incredibly hard to break into one of these teams now unless you're a part of a junior program and you're setting the world alight. Ben, do you think that realistically he could have gone anywhere in this season? Um, he could have done if a team had made a decision early enough. If I was Williams, would I have picked him up? Yes. If I was Haas, would I have picked him up? Yes. If I was Alfa Romeo, would I have picked him up? Yes. Three teams, I think, all had the opportunity to take him. And I think in all three instances, they they should have done. Um, I, th- I think when it comes to Porsche and his ability, has he underwhelmed at all? A little. That is based on quite high expectations from my side, based on his very early junior career. A little bit, but even so, I think he's done more than enough to warrant an F1C. And I think all three of those teams should have picked him up. I think Haas tried it before with young junior drivers. It didn't work out. I think Porsche is clear of both of them. Um, I think Alfa Romeo obviously makes the most sense as he's been part of their junior program. I think he would be an upgrade on Zhou Guan Yu. And I think with Williams, I think he would have been worth worth a gamble, um, in all honesty, versus Logan Sargent. So I appreciate it's taken him longer to win Formula 2 than it has some other key drivers. But if you look at... I'll give you a list of five drivers... Pierre Gasly, Nico Rosberg, Oscar Piastri, George Russell, and Charles Leclerc. Those five drivers. There's something that connects all five of those and Theo Porsche and no one else. And that is that they all won the F2 title at the age of 20. Exactly the age of 20. And there's I, I haven't just cherry pick those names either there aren't others out there that have also won it at 20 years old that's all of them since the start of f2 nearly 20 years ago now i think if you were to look at any of those other five drivers you wouldn't say in any instance shouldn't have got to f1 in in hindsight not a good idea even the bottom end of that which is pierre if pierre gasly is the the floor like that is the worst option of those five Gasly's had a good F1 career. If he were to, if he weren't to come back next year, he's had a good F1 career. Is it possible that Porsche is the only one of those six that, let's say, made it to F1 one day and it wasn't a good idea? I don't think so. I, I think he he belongs as part of that group. Where in that list he he would end up is another question. Do you think he's got the ability of someone like Russell and Leclerc? If you would say no to that, fine. But I can't see him being any worse than the bottom end of that list, which is Pierre Gasly. So I I absolutely would have would have promoted him. Do you think and we've discussed this before on the show that there is a calling that there needs to be some kind of program to elevate the F2 champion into Formula One on the year that they win? Oh, I mean it, it's harder to it's easier theorizing about it versus actually putting it into action. I completely respect that. But yes, this needs to happen in some, in some 
form because this was an issue that F2 had about 10 years ago when there were a number of champions that could not make it to F1. So there was a, a couple of years like where Fabio Lima won and Davide Valsecchi, he was an F2 champion and, and none of them could really progress into F1. And we seem to have gone back to that after a good few years because, you know, Gasly made it to F1 and Russell and Leclerc did. And that was all around the same time period. But if you look at the last five F2 champions, only one of them has actually gone into a seat the very next year. That was Mick Schumacher winning the championship uh, in 2020. Um, the other four, who are Nick DeVries and Oscar Piastri, who of course made it to F1, but not the year after they won it, and then Drogovic and Porsche, the last two champions, they haven't been in a seat the year after they've won that title. And I think particularly in the case of Porsche, it's a, it's a real shame, but it very much... Piastri as well. I know Piastri didn't have to wait too much longer, but he very much deserved to be in F1 the year after he won F2. So I think there is an issue. It's a really hard thing to put into words to create an actual program that is fair, it works, it's financially viable. How is it tying to a championship? There's so many questions, all for elevating one young person into the sport. And I guess a lot of people, maybe old school F1 fans, will sit there and go, They've just got to earn it. If they're not in the sport, it means that they're not good enough for some perspective reason, which I disagree with. I don't think that's a fair analysis because you look at Piastri, right, who is coming to that McLaren seat a year after he won the title. And what more do you want from him? What more do you want? He's more than good enough to be in this sport. So, you know, I, I think that immediately puts that point in the bin. Um, but how do you do it? You know, do you, do you subsidise uh, a team's uh, financial bill at the end of the season by going, right, you can get an extra... 15 million on the cost cap and you can run a third car, but that third car won't aid your constructors championship. It only aids their drivers or something like that. You know, you get a chance to, to invest that money somewhere or something like that. It's so difficult to work out. Uh, again, more seats. I know it sounds like a ridiculous and stupid idea, but I'm just trying to see if it would work. It might be possible. Um, right. <laughs> we'll give it just a go. Maybe. Um, Fine. it's harsh. It is harsh when you, uh, at these, and they are kids have worked for years and years and years and put so much effort and they've lost so... I know that they've, you know, a lot of them come from very wealthy backgrounds and they they have got privileged lives. But at the same time, they are giving up a lot of their childhood and their upbringing to to work and to, to, to work out physically, to be physically fit for this and mentally trained into the, they don't have normal childhood experiences because they've, they've got to sit to these rules and these paddocks. And it's what it takes to be a professional sports person. So when you're at the very, very top of the game in youth level, which is what F2 really is. It's, it's the youth level and you, you win it all. And there's nothing waiting for you on the other side of kind of the pearly gates of the F2 championship. It's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't it, to go, I've done absolutely everything in my own power to get over the line here. I've beaten everyone around me. And you're telling me there's nothing. I get a cup and I have to walk away and I can't go and race again in this season. I just have to sit there on a sideline. It must be incredibly frustrating. So I don't even know if there is a solution, but it is unfair for these youngsters to not be able to take the next step. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I, I think the good news, at least, to put something of a silver lining on this, is that where there are drivers coming through from F2, it's not like the winners of the championship are being passed up for drivers who are awful. Like drivers who have come up over the last five years or so that haven't been champions have still positioned pretty well in the championship. So if you're looking at least starting from 2019, Nicholas Latifi finished second. Um, Yuki Sonoda finished third. Nikita Mazepin finished fifth. Zhou Guan Yu finished third and Logan Sargent finished fourth. So it's not like we're taking drivers who finished 15th in F2 over the champions, which is a good thing. Um, and if, you know, I know people often rightly want to slam on Nikita Mazepin. He finished fifth in F2. That's not, that is an achievement. It's not like he was awful in junior formula and didn't absolutely didn't deserve a seat in F1. Um, but even so, it would be nice to see the champions of these series get promoted over drivers they've they've beaten yeah i completely agree i think ben you probably got more stats to hand than i have but the list you reeled off there already was more drivers than have won the f2 title being elevated to f1 even though it's you know second through to fifth it shows you that 
team academies and, and money still do play a large role in what gets you into Formula One. You could argue that Zhou Guanyu maybe got picked up. He was a very good driver and had a good junior career, but you'd argue that the the Chinese sponsorship element to it and the marketing opportunities that that supports elevated him higher than maybe what an F2 champion could bring in raw talent. The same with Yuki Tsunoda, part of the Red Bull driver program. Great, that helps him. But also, he's one of the few Japanese drivers that's really come through the ranks. The Japanese market in Formula 1 is massive. The Honda partnership, of course, is massively beneficial that he has there. Are there other factors that you still need to have as a junior driver to mean that you get success? Raw talent is not the only currency that could buy you something in Formula 1. And I think that is a little bit of a shame. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, and lastly, just just a final point actually on Porsche that I wanted to say, he only won one race all season, um, yeah. which is bizarre because Frederick Vesti who finished second won five. Which I guess it depends on which way you want to look at that because you could look at it from the perspective that this guy hasn't won enough races to justify his place in F one. On the other side, you could say he still won the championship despite only winning one race. That's pretty consistent across a full season. That would definitely help him in F1. Um, it's, it very much reminded me of Esteban Ocon. There was a season he did um, before he made it to F1. It might have been F3 where he won the title, but he just did it by finishing second nearly every race. And actually, the more I think about it, Porsche and Esteban Ocon might not be a bad comparison. Um I think they, you know, if Porsche got the chance, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up having very similar careers. But we'll like see. him or loathe him, Ocon's done a great, great job in F1, right? He's a consistent midfield driver. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, we'll take our next break. On the other side, we're going to be discussing Lewis Hamilton. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so Lewis Hamilton has recently come out with some comments. Um, he said the he said quite a bit actually, but he said the following: um, "There was so much going through my mind during that period, referring to after uh, Abu Dhabi 2021. Um, but I think one of the worst things you can do is make decisions based on emotions, because when you're emotional and in the heat of that moment, more often than not, you're not going to make the best decisions. Emotions were high." It was a really, really difficult period of time. So I had to just wait until things calmed down and then I was clear in my thought and I was then able to make the right decisions. So it's always been speculated, I guess, that Lewis Hamilton considered retirement after Abu Dhabi 21. Um, but I think here with some select media members, he's essentially confirming that was the case. Uh, he also had some comments about his last two seasons and how he's obviously gone winless, um, far cry from where he was in terms of winning championships a few years ago. Did you have any thoughts on his comments? I think this is very um, different from Lewis Hamilton. I think Lewis Hamilton has always been one of those drivers that is more than happy to speak about problems, speak about difficulties, speak about issues he's having on the track with an open heart and open mind. And he's, we, we heard the comments from Toto in the season that he's one of the first drivers to always put his hands up and take responsibility when, when he is often sometimes the cause of, of a failure or a difficulty. But this is a little bit different to me because 
This is the first time that Lewis Hamilton has ever publicly come out and disclosed that he was having doubts about his own ability, about his own career, which is very difficult, di- sorry, very different to a, I caused a crash or the strategy failed because of me or something like that, which, you know, has happened throughout his career. That happens to most drivers. But this is this is something very, very different. And it's it's a little bit sad, but I guess it happens to most drivers where they come out and say, do I still have this relentless ability that Formula One drivers have that no one else has, this ability to maintain this ruthless uh, cutthroat level of ability at 200 miles an hour that only 20 drivers have the ability to have. And I think I think you have to be a bit insane to not question possibly retirement after the close of what has been one of the most dominant eras in Formula One of all time. And after achieving that much continuously to have that all crumble around you in such dramatic fashion. And I think for any person, whether you're a Hamilton fan, you don't like him, whether you love the Stappen, you've got to sympathise with the guy. To have that snatched away from you on the last lap under such controversial circumstances, or whether you agree that it was right or wrong and the steward's decision was fine or not, whatever, we're not discussing that. You, I'm sure if you were in that position, you would surely feel a bit heartbroken, a bit, you know, gutted inside of you. So I think he'd be mad to have not sat there and seriously gone, am I happy to bow out now? Have I achieved everything I want to achieve? Or do I have to have some kind of vendetta, some kind of anger to get back to the very top? And I think I think Lewis Hamilton is the kind of guy that chooses to, to use anger and harness emotion in his driving. I think very differently to someone like Max Verstappen, actually, and, and you know those kind of drivers, someone like Prost as well, who were very much more calculated and more happy to just put all emotion to one side and go, I'm relying on my talent, I'm relying on my team, I'm getting the job done. Because an angry Lewis Hamilton, I think is by far the most potent and scary Lewis Hamilton on a racetrack. We've seen times where he's come back from a bad race or the car hasn't been very good and he has delivered some exceptional performances when something has has not gone his way in the weekend or previously. So I was a little shocked to hear him so publicly admit that his talent was possibly the thing that was in question. Later on in the comments that you know Ben fairly didn't get to, he was speaking about how the car worked. And it shed a little bit of light, actually, because he, he matched George Russell, or rather George Russell, Russell matched Lewis Hamilton in qualifying, which he said is the area he needs to improve on, which is baffling when Lewis Hamilton, the man with the most pole positions in Formula One by a long shot, is saying... My qualifying isn't good enough. I need to improve. And he he discussed that the reason why the qualifying was so difficult is because one day you'll see George Russell in third and Lewis Hamilton in 11th. And the next week you'll see George Russell qualify eighth or ninth and Lewis Hamilton might be close to picking up pole position. And that's because the car with the tyres is so tricky to harness in the right window that neither of them really know if they're about to hit the sweet spot. Which, you know what, actually made me come to a lot of realisation that, you know, those guys are both absolutely fantastic. And if the car is that difficult to put in the right window and only one, it's no surprise that only one of them gets it right on a weekend sometimes. And we saw it with, with Vegas, right? Where Hamilton was out and Russell was nearly on the front row. It shows that that Mercedes is probably about two degrees away from being an absolute world beater of a car. But it's such like a a mistress, such a little minx, and you've got to get it right. And if you can't get it right, it's an absolute devil to deal with. And it shows you that these two drivers who are world-class just can't get that between them. So I'm not not surprised that Hamilton has come out and said the last two couple of seasons have been difficult. And it was very interesting to hear those insights. But I was really surprised to hear him doubting himself after what he's achieved. Because I think the difference between himself and Alonso... I don't think Alonso has ever publicly said that he himself is not good enough. I think Alonso has always got the bit between... I think Alonso would go to 80 years old believing that he's got what it takes. It was interesting to hear Lewis Hamilton not say that. Yeah, there was a lot to unpack with this because he didn't necessarily stay on one topic specifically. And I I enjoy it, actually, because Lewis Hamilton doesn't... He doesn't do it completely regularly, but he does do it once or twice a season. He will really open up. Um, and it's always worth paying attention for when he does. I think a lot of the time, and he's not the only one, you know, he can answer in a PR fashion, um, and not give too much away. And that is probably something all 20 drivers are guilty of at times. Um, and intentionally so, but there are a couple of occasions where Lewis Hamilton really opens up and, and you start to understand the the man behind the driver. Um, 
I think it, let, I'll, I'll tackle the retirement question first of all. Um, I I think when it comes to retirement and us being able to give a, a judgment on a driver and when it's right for them to retire, it's always worth bearing in mind that we've only got a percentage of what is important to that person. So we can very much answer from a sporting perspective whether we think a driver should pack it in. Um, so we can very easily say that when Nico Rosberg retired, as an example, from a pure sporting perspective, you can turn around and say that was a mistake because he still had a lot more to give at that point. He could have won plenty more races, could have won more championships. Um, in the same way that we can turn around and say Kimi Raikkonen should have retired earlier than what he did because it was, you know, he was a long way past his best and there was no value in him staying at Alfa Romeo. We can say that from a pure sporting perspective. But we don't know how much of the overall percentage that makes up for a driver when making that decision. So Nico Rosberg decided he wants to spend more time with his family. That's something he can make a judgment on that we can't. Um, similar with Kimi Raikkonen. We can say, well, Kimi Raikkonen shouldn't have stuck around for so long. But Kimi Raikkonen could turn around and say, well, actually, I was able to secure X amount of millions of pounds over those couple of years. And now my family are secure for life. Again, that's the sort of stuff that we can't necessarily completely factor in. So when Lewis Hamilton turns around and says he considered retirement at the end of 2021, we can say from a sporting perspective, you know, you could go for another five years and still win plenty more championships. But he could turn around and say, well, actually, these are all the other things that I'd like to do in my career and I'm not emotionally set on F1 and all the rest of it. He can he can more accurately say those sorts of things. Um I think the stuff about the car was interesting as well, about how it was a bit of a a bit of a minx, as you put it. Um, because George Russell essentially said exactly the same thing as well in other in another interview, um, where for whatever reason, they might be eleven all in qualifying, but they're very rarely next to each other on the grid. Um, and it does seem as if where one driver can figure it out on one weekend, the other driver can't. So if they can put together something that is more predictable in 2024 you would imagine they will be they will start to qualify next to each other yet again um i know mercedes are basically ripping that car to shreds and starting from scratch so um i'm sure that's something that both drivers would have had input on to try and get from this 24 challenger um i I found it interesting as well one of the other things i just wanted to pick up on his comments was how the last two seasons, a lot of the narrative has been he has been winless the last two seasons, which is factually correct. He has not won a race in the last two years. Um, but he uh, he made a good point, actually, where he compared it to the time around 20, 2009, 2010, 2011, where he, was, he won a race in all three of those years. But actually, it wasn't that dissimilar to what he's going through now. 2009, he won a race, the Hungarian Grand Prix. The rest of the year was shambolic. It was, it was an awful car. In 2011, you might say, well, 2011, he won three races that year. But actually, he only he was only on the podium six times. He was on the podium three times where he didn't win that year. So six times to the podium, that's exactly the same number as he had this season and three fewer than he had last season. So I don't think, even though a lot of the narrative is this is the most difficult time of his career, he's gone two seasons winless after however many years in a row he won before that, but I don't think it's that much different from what he had in those few difficult years either. I think that's a great comparison point. I also think it's absolutely hilarious that with no other driver, would you sit there and go, oh, he's gone two seasons without winning, without winning a race in Formula One. Do you know how many drivers have competed in Formula One and never even touched the top spot? And we're, you know, people are using this as a criticism against Lewis Hamilton that he he hasn't won something for two seasons. Like It's, it's always- an inadvertent compliment, right? Yeah, right. Oh my gosh, he's not he's not added to his plus 100 tally of race wings in the last two seasons. Oh, that's the end of Lewis Hamilton. The guy's still operating in the top 2 or 3% of an F1 grid. And this is I would argue now Lewis Hamilton well off of his absolute peak. And still, much like we've we've complimented Fernando Alonso in the same way, and I think it would be rude to Lewis Hamilton not to give him the same benefit that uh, a, a very good, not a great Lewis Hamilton, just a very good Lewis Hamilton would still demolish 17, 16 of the drivers if you put them next to him across a whole season. And 
that's still a massive asset for someone like Mercedes to have in their car. And it's going to be very hard for any young driver to come along and say, now's the time that you should get rid of seven-time champion, 100 and what are three race wings, you know, that guy, Lewis Hamilton, and put me in the car instead. The guy's allowed to have a couple of years where he's not the absolute domination that he has been previously. So I imagine he's... He's incredibly high standards that are arguably higher than anyone has ever had in Formula One, realistically. He's probably sitting there thinking, this is frustrating. This is not going the way I want it to go. But he's also picked up more podiums this year than most people will also ever have in Formula One. And this has been a bad year for Lewis Hamilton, who finished third in the Drivers' Championship and was at one point very close to being second. So... Tough one for Lewis, yes. But for anyone else, this would have been a fan. If Lando Norris had this season, everyone would be absolutely showering him in praise. But because it's Lewis Hamilton, you go, he's washed, mate. Not good enough. Um, the guy, if the, if the guy gets given the car, I have no doubt that we see him immediately bounce back and pick up regular race wins. It's just whether Mercedes can do it for him. I also feel a little bit sorry for George Russell, who is having to take this all along when he watched that team go through domination after domination after domination. And then he gets moved up from a Williams car that was by far the worst Williams car that we've seen for a long time into a Mercedes car that's an absolute diva, can't be driven properly. So nightmares get the tyre done correctly. He's had one race win after watching Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas and Nico Rosberg do so well. It must be so frustrating for him because he's such a talent. And while Leclerc gets all the plaudits, Norris gets all the plaudits, Verstappen obviously running away with titles. He's in that school. He's in that group. That's his era. And he's having to struggle around in this car next to a seven-time world champion who's also struggling. So I think there's a lot more to the story than just Lewis Hamilton had a bad time at the end of 21 should he retire. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll get to we'll get to top 10 driver ratings in a in a future episode um before the but before the end of the year. But certainly Lewis Hamilton, at least from my perspective, the only driver you can say definitively outclassed Lewis Hamilton this year was Max Verstappen. Even if you think, let's say yep. you think he was fourth and Lando Norris was better and um, Fernando Alonso was better, fine. But the only one I think you can definitively say, yes, he was 100% better than Lewis Hamilton this year was Max Verstappen. I'd, yep. I'd, I would struggle to make the case for anyone else. Yep, fair. Okay, let's take our final break today. And then on the other side, we're going to be chatting Daniel Ricciardo. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, Daniel Ricciardo uh, asked in Abu Dhabi if the injury he had sustained earlier in the year spoiled an otherwise ideal scenario around his return. He said, obviously, I wish this never happened just because it was uncomfortable and painful. Uh, but now that is obviously done. I still look back on this year as a positive um, because sitting here a year ago, I was like, could this be my last race? I don't exaggerate when I say that. I really didn't know. I honestly thought it was 50-50. So to have the year I've had, um, and forget the hand. Um, I just kind of feel a little bit more reborn again is, uh, the right word. I feel re-energized. What do you make of those comments? That's very upbeat from a generally upbeat person, but what do you make of them? Yeah. You see, you know, he says a very upbeat person, but he did also open up when he was, um, when he left McLaren yeah. about his time at McLaren and obviously during the COVID time where he was unable to go home to see his family in Australia for, I think, three or four years, which is really difficult. And he did say he felt incredibly low and he was struggling with with his, his mental health. So on a, on a mental health point of view, it's absolutely wonderful to hear that Daniel Ricciardo is feeling upbeat and happy and positive because he is a real light of Formula One, whether it comes to just being on the grid, the marketing perspective, the, you know, the amount that he does out, it's the same as, you know, the likes of Lewis Hamilton, the amount of attention that he brings to Formula One in a 
positive manner outside of racing is really important. That is a very important aspect. So for himself and for the sport, it's fantastic. I also found it very funny that when someone said, what are you taking away from this season? He just went a bit of metal in my hand. I thought that was a very Daniel Ricciardo response. It did give me a little chuckle. Um, I can understand why he's feeling reborn, a bit re-energized. He's had a bit of a tumultuous time over the last three or four years within Formula One. Of course, leaving Red Bull right before they took the step to becoming essentially a world-beating team once again. Must have been, in hindsight, a bit of a kick because I'm sure Daniel Ricciardo, when asked, if you were to say to him, if you were in that car alongside Max Verstappen in 21, in 22, this season, did you think you got it takes to, to fight with him all the way to the end to win the title? And I'm sure Daniel Ricciardo would be first to go, I won those titles. They'd be my titles. So I'm sure to any sports person, that must be really difficult. He then goes to Renault, who are now Alpine. And whilst I think he was very good in his second season at Renault, it wasn't a fantastic period for both car and more team drivers. And then McLaren, of course, he was outclassed by Norris. The car didn't suit him properly. He never got on with the culture there. And it was a, definitely a low point in his Formula One career. So to hear him come back from the year out, the broken hand, the competition with Sonoda and Lawson and all the doubt around that, to hear him feel positive and buoyed and the fact that he's going to be in Formula One again, is fantastic. I also think it shows a bit of a lowering of Daniel Ricciardo's expectations because I think Daniel Ricciardo a few years ago would have been disappointed with anything that wasn't podiums or race wins. You've got to remember he's an eight-time race winner, sat on the podium plenty of times. He's regularly fighting at the front of the grid and he was being accredited at one point with being one of the best overtakers we've ever seen in Formula One. And now he's overjoyed. He feels reborn and re-energized with a team that it might be his last season in Formula One this season, he might not get that Red Bull drive again and he might spend it in an Alpha Tauri or whatever it's going to be called that might be running around in seventh in the championship for a whole year. But to him, that's positive. You know what? Fine. It's not my career. It's not my life. But it does show a big shift in who Daniel Ricciardo is becoming, I think, if that is something that he feels completely happy with. But I'm, I am glad he's happy. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the Daniel Ricciardo we saw at McLaren... It, you know, it, it never fully made sense um, that Daniel Ricciardo would fall completely off a cliff. And I think it was fairly obvious that it was very much a team and driver not meshing. Um, that the, There was the issue rather than Daniel Ricciardo himself. Um, I, I know people seem to think that he himself completely fell off a cliff, which I never bought into because well first of all you see Fernando Alonso doing what he's doing and he's 10 years older than Daniel Ricciardo um or something close to that I I just think Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren never fully got on together um and look I mean the final year he had at Renault I thought he did incredibly well now the car wasn't as good as I'm sure he would have liked it to be but equally outside of Verstappen and Hamilton that season he might well have been the third best driver it was certainly a competition between himself and Perez and Gasly was probably in the mix that year as well um but Ricardo was was right up there uh, I think he finished maybe fifth in the championship um, and and obviously uh, picked up a podium or two, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, he had a great season. So to go from what he did at Red Bull to what he did at Renault and then McLaren is this outlier, I think it was always worth Red Bull then taking a, a gamble on him or I, I don't even think it was that much of a gamble that he could go back and, and do a job. Now, it's still very much in progress. I'm not sitting here saying that he's he's back to what he once was and that's the end of the story he's still got a lot of work to do but there has been potential there in the second half of this season and it's now down to him to carry that forward into 24 and make his case for 2025 and maybe it will be enough maybe it won't but at least he will know that a full season under his belt he will he will give it everything he can if it's enough it's enough if it's not it's not I think it's quite a risky game for Daniel Ricciardo. And we said this when he was, you know, one of the drivers being kind of bounding around for filling that Alpha Tauri seat in that Yuki Tsunoda, whilst we, I think we've all come to agree that he's a great character, he's a, a real treasure to the Formula One community. He's not going to be a multiple time world champion. He's just a good driver. And then you've got the outlier that was Liam Lawson that of course came in only through Daniel Ricciardo injuring himself and hurting his hand, of course, did a lot better than a lot of people expected him to do. Daniel Ricciardo is inadvertently having to pitch himself against three separate drivers uh, across the end of the season we've just had and now for 2024 because 
Liam Lawson's performances will be in the back of the Red Bull family's minds. And I believe they promised him a drive somewhere for the season after the one we're about to go into. Sergio Perez will, of course, if he wants to stay in Formula One, will know that he's got to do better than the likes of Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo will have to do better than Sergio Perez. And equally, he'll have to be a very comfortable Yuki Tsunoda. So, this is a big test for Ricardo. It's not going to be a, you know, a breeze of him just having to drive that car well. He's going to still have to prove himself against drivers who have got a lot more time in the locker to to prove themselves and have time and, and, and create a career for themselves within Formula One against Daniel Ricardo's not not ending career, but it's, it's twilight zone, I would argue. So this is a bit of a risk for Ricardo. He, he can't rest on his laurels and his reputation. He's still going to have to come out in 2024 put his foot down and prove that he's got what it takes to beat others around him, I think. Yeah, and I guess I wouldn't necessarily call it a risk because I don't think there's an obvious place he could be elsewhere. I I, I think if he'd perform better at McLaren and he had other options heading into this season, then going back to Alpha Tauri would have absolutely been a risk rather than a more... Um, I don't know, standalone team that might have a chance of of winning races and the like. Um, but I think this is where his experience might come in. You, you mentioned his change in attitude, and I agree with that fundamentally. And I think that will benefit him next season because you're right, he is going to be compared against all of those drivers. But I think he's experienced enough to this point to know that he can only control what he can do. Like he can only control his performances in the car. If if Yuki Tsunoda comes along and does a, an incredible job, fair enough. But that's that's Yuki Tsunoda's doing. If if Sergio Perez does a better job this year and sorry next year, backing up Verstappen versus this year, that's on Perez. And there's nothing Ricardo can do to control that. So I think if Ricardo and I think he will just focus on himself, focus on what he's doing, his job. And the decision will make itself at that point, but Ricardo will be able to sit back and and know that he's done everything he can. Yeah, I think that's fair. So it'd be very interesting to see what he's capable of doing in that car. And whether, obviously, they're making a lot of changes fundamentally to the makeup of that Alpha Tauri car. It's going to be a lot closer to Red Bull. You never know. It could be a very good car come the 2024 season. It might be a, a top point scorer. Who knows? I mean, we've already referenced 2020 and what Gasly did that season. Every chance that it's a very similar year next year for AlphaTauri because that 2020 car was very closely linked to the Red Bull. And there were parts early in that season, there was not a lot to choose between those two teams. So if they can produce a car that is even like 90% of the Red Bull, that would be interesting. Yeah, it would be what you'd be expecting fifth, fourth places on the regular, like Pierre Gasly did in 2020. Yeah. And Daniel Ricciardo in that mix every single race, rejuvenated. I, would, I wouldn't want to go up against him, to be fair. I wouldn't want to battle him. Absolutely. Um, right, should we, should we call that episode here then, Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here? Folks, well done for trudging through the blizzard with us. You're making it there slowly. We'll be out of the cold soon. The days will become lighter. And the, that, that, you know, that sound that they always put in films, that <laughs> noise of all the, the snow blowing across the Headphone screen. listeners loving you. <laughs> A bit of ASMR for you there, folks. Um, in the horrible, most horrible version possible. Um, anyway, <laughs> folks, you know what we're going through. Thank you for sticking with us. We are going to be here two episodes a week, all the way through the winter break. We've got some fun stuff coming up. We've got the LB Awards. We've got our reviews. We've got teammate wars. And then as we get past Christmas, we'll of course start to look at things such as the liveries that will start to be announced in Pimp My F1, the new predictions beginning. There's lots to talk about still. So, Whilst there's no racing, we hope that you stay with us for the rest of the winter break into the new year. Thank you again. We're on Yubtubs. This is all getting filmed, so come and watch it. Subscribe there. Uh, Discord's in the description. Patreon's available. We're doing loads of stuff over the winter break, such as extra episodes. We've got gaming nights. We've got beer with breaking. Uh, birthday shout-outs, of course. We'll be doing those a little earlier in December because it's it's Christmas. Um, and there's loads to do. So thanks for sticking around. We love you. And in the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. And I've been Ben Hocking. And remember, keep breaking late keep trudging through the storm. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.